You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father Scholl. I would like now to continue with our political philosophy uh, discussions. Uh, we have uh, talked about Machiavelli uh, in the 1500s, and uh, now I'd like to take a book which is a little bit different, and yet it's a very insightful book in uh, political philosophy and brings up a kind of a side that you might not might not uh, pay attention to. And namely, this is a book of Alan Bloom and Harry Jaffa called uh, Shakespeare's Politics. It's a relatively short book of four chapters on a good introduction, and uh, it is a very insightful book uh, with regard to um, the period. Of course, Shakespeare is or dies around 1615, uh, so he's in the Elizabethan period and of English tradition, so he's in between uh, Machiavelli and uh, uh, Hobbes and Locke. So it's worthwhile taking a look at him because uh, Bloom and Jaffa put some very good things together. <clears throat> so in the history of political philosophy, Shakespeare, whose death is generally, as I said, given in about 1615, is time-wise between Machiavelli and Hobbes. He includes the, Reforma he includes the Reformation uh, particularly the English Reformation, with its uh, chief philosopher, Richard Hooker. Uh, some think Shakespeare was a Catholic, others an atheist. Shakespeare is normally, uh, in modern academia, considered uh, to be a poet, but he is far uh, more than that, uh, not to uh, uh, belittle the uh, noble name of poetry. As uh, Bloom points out, um, the book, by the way, is called Shakespeare's Politics, which is published by, uh, I think, as I recall, the University of Chicago Press. Anyway, it's, uh, it has two authors, Ellen Bloom, and then Harry Jaffa does a chapter on Lear. So he's considered to be a poet, but um, uh, Bloom points out that uh, the American forefathers would have thought that if you had two books, uh, uh, the Bible and Shakespeare, you would have almost all you needed uh, to know about uh, what human nature uh, with its destiny is all about. The introduction of Bloom is about what happens to a civilization that has rejected or lost its memory of what uh, formed it. It is impossible to understand any literature or philosophy without knowing the Bible and Shakespeare, let alone uh, Plato, Aristotle, Cicero, and Augustine. Shakespeare himself was uh, knowledgeable of one of the most famous of the ancient biographers, namely Plutarch, Lives of the Noble Greeks and Romans a book that everyone should have and read. It is a fascinating and uh, charming book, full of wisdom that everyone, uh, that, and it's a book that many people, indeed everyone, 
needs or should read. The scope of uh, intellect includes, in Shakespeare includes, knowing about all things knowable, only ends as civile, only ends as knowable, which is the scope of intellect as such. And thus there is uh, the life of the philosopher, the life of the rabbi or the prophet, the life of the cleric, uh, the life of the politician, the life of the poet, the life of the soldier, the life of the businessman, uh, the domestic life. How are these lives uh, distinguished and related to one another? What is the relation of the poet to the politician? What is the uh, a theme from Plato? And what is the relation of the philosopher to the poet and to the politician? What is the relation of the rabbi uh, and the priest to the politician? Shakespeare, amazingly enough, has Greek plays, Roman plays, medieval plays, and modern plays. These plays, as Bloom and Jaffa point out, uh, correspond to the classic issues in uh, particularly political philosophy. Aristotle and Plato, as we know, were concerned with happiness and the relation of the life of the virtues to it. Bloom and Jaffa point out that uh, reading a philosopher, philosophical book or a philosophy book will not cause the impact uh, that reading a poet, a poem, or a play will have, usually. But we need, they tell us, to have images of, or models of courage, of moderation, of jealousy, envy, evil, in such a manner that we can see it in its concrete form, in Othello, on the play of Shakespeare, the character of Iago is one of the greatest uh, personifications of, of an evil person that exists. And yet, knowing what we know about evil and our freedom, Othello is by no means uh, determined uh, to kill Desdemona. Recall uh, Genesis and Augustine. Many profound and striking passages can be uh, discovered in this book. It only deals with four plays, The Merchant of Venice, Othello, Julius Caesar, and King Lear. There is another very fine book, recently released, uh, re-released, entitled Shakespeare as a Political Thinker, which is well worth reading uh, in connection with political philosophy and, and this particular book. Bloom Jaffa uh, makes a very valuable point that Shakespeare wrote before the division of academia into almost uh, autonomous parts and disciplines. Thus, like Plato and Aristotle, Augustine and Aquinas, uh, Shakespeare understood uh, to uh, uh, that he understood that if we want to know everything, understand everything, we have to 
um, understand everything, uh, even though you may have to go about it uh, a step at a time. He understood that some things were more important than others, while not denying the interest in and importance of everything. The very first sentence in the book, sentence in the book, uh, is uh, obviously directed at the uh, university student. Think about this. Quote in page one, the most striking fact about contemporary university students is that there is no longer any canon of books which forms their taste and their imagination. In general, they do not look at all to books when they uh, meet problems in life or try to think about such goals. <clears throat> there are no literary models for their uh, uh, conceptions of virtue and vice. In the quote. This is, uh, in this connection, one might take a look at what Bloom said about music in the closing of the American mind, the very powerful chapter. Actually, he says the same thing that Plato said in the Republic, as we uh, shall see later on when we come to Plato. But remember, the most important class, uh, the most important consideration in our considered here is probably in the treatment of, of uh, Plato, uh, as we will see. And he says again on page two, he says, for a civilization is held together by its common understanding of what is virtuous and vicious, noble and base, and base, in the quote. A civilization is held together by its common understanding of what is virtuous and vicious, noble and base. And if it has no common understanding of that, then it is not holding together. If you read this uh, sentence carefully, it explains uh, why you read Plato, or perhaps why you do not understand him. Shakespeare is full of noble and base characters. Bloom brings up a further question uh, under uh, about about what inspiration uh, uh, under what inspiration one uh, reads these great books, the Bible and Shakespeare, even if he does not read them. In other words, uh, in other words you you know about them, and if you never read them, you don't know uh, how they fit together. He says, "Quote: One could never." We establish the mosaic religion on the basis of a Bible read by the higher critics, that is, say, the biblical uh, writer, biblical uh, professors. I said, uh, he says they don't really understand it. He says, nor could one use Shakespeare as a text in moral and political education on the basis of his plays as they are read by the new critics and by, generally speaking, by the most professors in the English department. This uh, recalls the uh, remark of Simon, uh, quote, 
there is nothing to prevent a student from giving uh, his soul to an unworthy teacher. There is nothing to prevent a student from giving freely his soul to an unworthy teacher. Nothing to prevent it except his own insight and, and judgment. Another passage uh, in uh, the early pages of, of uh, Bloom is worth considering on page three, where he says, the texts and their meaning are, of course, the only important things. The origins of the thought of Shakespeare or its relation to its time, uh, relation to its time are relatively minor interests compared to the permanent significance of his meaning. So it is Shakespeare that is teaching us and not somebody describing the time in which he lived as if that is teaching us. Bloom and Jaffa <coughs> tell us right out, quote, in page three, the authors of these essays are professors of political science, which means that they are outside the field of Shakespeare, Shakespearean criticism, though they would not be called Shakespeare's scholars, uh, given the current division of academic disciplines. Remember that Bloom and Jaffa say that Shakespeare wrote before there was such a division, and therefore such a one-sided view of what Shakespeare was doing. And he continues on page five where he says, where the authors say, we believe that political philosophy is the proper beginning for the elaboration of the uh, comprehensive framework within which the problems of the Shakespearean heroes can be viewed, or uh, briefly, that Shakespeare was an eminent political author. Nothing puts us so far out of touch with contemporary beliefs and prejudices as this last claim, for both politics and philosophy have come to be understood as the opposites of poetry, and in some sense, their study is supposed to make a man unfit to grasp the true uh, uh, sense of, po of poetry, in the quotation. And this passage should be something uh, of a wake-up call for all of us. And it says again on page five that Shakespeare devotes great care to establishing the political setting of almost all of his plays, and his greatest heroes are rulers who exercise capacities which can only be exercised within civil society. To neglect this is simply to be blinded by the brilliance of one's own prejudices. As soon as one sees this, one cannot help asking what Shakespeare thought about a good regime and a good ruler. Uh, we contend that the man of political uh, passion and education is the better, uh, is in a better position to understand the plays than a purely uh, private man. So that uh, a man who's a politician and involved in these things can understand 
Shakespeare is driving at, because Shakespeare didn't understand that. And he says on page five to six, to contemporary antagonism between philosophy and poetry is a child of our age. It might serve uh, most probably to remind us of another kind of philosophy, one which could talk sensibly about human things and of another kind of poetry, uh, one which uh, could unite char uh, the charm of the passions with the rigor of the, of the intellect. So in that tradition, of the passions and the intellect go together in some order. If you think about it, uh, these phrases about the charm and rigor of uh, are uh, a summary of Aristotle's ethics. So the charm and rigor of uh, what we do. Quote, the beauty of our worlds is but a reflection of the beauty of things. The end of the quote, page seven. The beauty of the words, I meant to say words, the beauty of the words is but a reflection of the beauty of things. The words are intended to describe, to get to the heart of what is actually there. That is, there is a beauty in words and the beauty in things. One is to have, one is to have both the beauty of words and the beauty of things. And they say in page eight, a man is most, now listen to this, this is very good. A man is most what he is as a result of what he does. A man is known not simply by his existence, but by the character of his actions, liberal or greedy, courageous or cowardly, frank or sly, moderate or profligate, the end of the quote on page eight. A man is most known uh, by the result of what he does. That's how you know him. Not what he says he is, but what he does. Remember, character is a technical word for the particular complexes or uh, unification of the virtues and vices that one displays in his actions. It is also refers to the habits that we have created in ourselves by the re repetition of good or bad actions. Remember, habits are acquired by repetition of a good act or a bad act, which forms our character such that people can expect what we do from how we rule ourselves. And never forget this comment uh, that, that is made. In a way, this must be on, on, be on page eight or nine. It's on page nine. In a way, the spectators, let's say those who behold something, in a way the spectators live more truly when they are watching a Shakespearean uh, play than in their daily lives, which are so much determined by the accidents of time and place. In the quote. So this uh, passage is actually also found in Plato's Law. So, so the spectators live at a more truly higher level 
when watching a Shakespearean play because they are going over the meanings of life and virtue by watching that, whereas they're just brushing their teeth or doing this thing in their daily lives and never have a chance to ferret out what is really going on, which is what the value of a play is. With the play, therefore, you behold what is going on before us. In another sort of learning, my book, there is a chapter on sports which goes through this same point regarding the watching of a sporting event, watching of a great game. And then, uh, so that the, the beholding of the game takes us outside of ourselves, something that Aristotle points out. And Bloom and Jaffa write on page 11, Bloom really, in our day we have particularly, uh, we are particularly in need of the history of political philosophy for we are not immediately aware of the various possible understandings of the political and moral phenomenon and must seek them, uh, seek those which most adequately explain what Shakespeare presents to us. So Shakespeare takes us outside of ourselves, our own realm, and yet puts us back into the way things ought to be. Now the subtitle uh, of uh, at the limits of political philosophy and where it comes from uh, is the uh, Strauss-Cropsey history of political philosophy uh, in uh, uh, a very important sense. So that it comes from Strauss's uh, 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 notion that um, political philosophy is a description of errors. They say on page 11, Bloom says on page 11, we are in need of a generation of criticism, naive criticism, which asks the uh, kinds of questions of Shakespeare that uh, Glaucon and Adimantos once uh, proposed to Socrates. How should we live? Is it best in a ruler or a poet? Can one kill a king? Should one's parents be disobeyed for the sake of love? Here's your question. And they say, I continue on page 12, a free man and a good citizen must have a natural harmony between uh, his passions and his knowledge. So they go together, the knowledge rules his passions. And this is what is meant by a man of taste. And it is the, and it is the um, a man today whom uh, uh, seems uh, to be unable to form a man of taste. We are aware that a political science which does not grasp the moral phenomenon is crude and an art uh, uninspired by the passion for justice is trivial. Shakespeare <clears throat> wrote uh, before the separation of these things. Uh, we sense that he has both intellectual clarity and vigorous passion and that the two do not uh, undermine each other in him. Page 12. Note in this tradition, passion 
are to be vigorous. Recall what Aristotle said about pleasure, that it is proper to the activity. And likewise, the intellect is to be clear. Both belong together, and we are not to be uh, vapid or dull. I think I will cite only one, I said a couple more uh, of the many more uh, profound things that uh, you will read and hopefully reread in Shakespeare's politics. Take the conclusion of the chapter on the merchant of Venice. In Venice and modern thought, there was an attempt to cut the Gordian knot and unite man not on the level of their truly human sameness, but on that of the political beneficial. A unity expressed in man's universal desire for gain. The consequence of this uh, must be either conflict or a uh, bastardization of all that is noble and true in each of the separate points of view. Venice had the uh, adorned beauty of a strumpet. Shakespeare was not willing to sacrifice for this illusion the only true beauty which lies somewhere beyond the heavens uh, for the happy uh, for the happy few page 31 what do we think that this might mean that shakespeare was not willing to sacrifice uh, for this other illusion that gain is the highest thing but that there really was uh, something beyond the heavens for the few who wish to know leo strauss uh, see the, the, to whom this book is dedicated, uh, finishes his essay on Aristotle in the City of Man with the following citation. So this is from Leo Strauss, his Starlet Bloom's teacher, Bloom and Jaffa's teacher. And this is why, how, um, I, I cite this here because it's important to uh, relate it to uh, Shakespeare. And this is Strauss. Man is more than the city, uh, the citizen of the city, or the city. Man transcends the city only by what is best in him. This is reflected in the fact that there are examples of men of the highest excellence, uh, whereas there are no examples of cities of the highest excellence in classical thought, that is, of the best regime, the highest questions of political philosophy is the highest question of political philosophy was the best regime. Uh, that men of the highest excellence, namely Plato and Aristotle, are known to have lived indeed, whereas the best regime is known only that it necessarily lives in speech, as we will see. In asserting that men, uh, man transcends the city, Aristotle agrees with the liberalism of the modern age, and yet he differs from that liberalism by limiting his transcendence only to the highest in man. To recall book six and ten of the ethics, man transcends. This is Strauss's last sentence. Man transcends the city only by pursuing true happiness 
not by pursuing happiness, however understood. It's on page 49 of the city of man. So man transcends the city only by pursuing true happiness, whereas we live in a polity where uh, we can pursue any kind of happiness and it doesn't make any difference. Uh, and yet that comes into conflict about what is true happiness. So we call book one of the ethics. Uh, we call Aristotle, he says, if man were the highest being, politics would be the highest science. But man is not the highest being, and therefore politics is not the highest science. Consider this in uh, the Othello chapter. The Othello chapter, uh, quote, page 62. Perhaps the true cosmopolitanism can be attained only by uh, renouncing the dearest hopes of practical life. Marriage is a part of political life, of civil society. One cannot purify it of its political element without depriving it of its very substance, the end of the quote. It's a very important thing because it means that without the family the polis is disordered and when you do not have an ordered family or a family that's not really based upon the generation of offspring uh, and and it's it's you have no basis uh, from which the state naturally arises <clears throat> what does this mean uh, in in, con in the context of Otello and Desdemona even if in theory, everyone has a freedom to marry anyone who is free to marry. It is something that anyone who marries someone uh, from a, it is, it is something that if you marry someone from a different culture or nation or a different philosophical principle, they always have to reckon with. As it's not an easy thing. That is what the play is about. As that's what Othello is about, the difficulty that that would come about. You might ask yourself in reading the account of Julius Caesar, who is the real hero of that play? I remarked that Roman philosophy radically differs from Greek philosophy when it comes to the primacy of moral philosophy over theoretic philosophy, we call in Cicero. You might ask yourself whether a Greek could ever be a Julius Caesar, and if so, who? They asked why, and this answer is uh, to this latter question has to do with Stoic philosophy and how it differs from the Greek. Well, it was Greek in origin. What? what is called post-Aristotelian uh, philosophy. The essay by Jaffa uh, on Lear is very powerful and it is full of uh, ironies. And notice uh, Jaffa's final conclusion, quote, page 138. Human life, we might say, is set in motion by the demands of human virtue. Those demands require political life, but the full demands of virtue transcend the political life. <clears throat> In a sense, they transcend human life. 
the understanding of monarchy is the uh, condition of understanding the true relation of uh, the political <coughs> to the human and of the human to the divine. Surely such knowledge was never more needful. So the question is, and the answer is, the relationship between the political and the human and the human and the divine and how these things fit together. So this will be the end of the, the first discussion on Bloom's uh, Shakespeare's politics. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.